Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Welcome to So Very Wrong About Games, a board gaming podcast about board games. With me is a man without principles, but a beautiful smile. Michael Walker, how you doing, Walker? The eye candy, baby. I am your co-host, Mark Bigney. I have some follow-up from last week, and this is something I am amazed that only one listener pointed out. Ever since it was pointed out to me, I was waiting for the deluge of emails to come in. In my discussion of Dominion last week, we talked about deck builders, and frequent reference, of course, was made to Dominion. I inadvertently mixed up the cellar and the chapel, which is unforgivable. Now, in my defense, this is mitigation. I still shouldn't be forgiven. The cellar, I think, ought to do what the chapel does, and the chapel can do whatever you want it to do, maybe what the cellar does. What's the, our one listener got back to us? But <laughs> Yes, 100% of our audience gave us the feedback. Thank you very much. Yes, I. but no, I, I, I do sincerely apologize for getting that detail wrong. It is the chapel that is the all-important trashing card in Dominion that took the Dominion community and the board gaming community more broadly a little bit of time to, to cotton on to. I apologize for any confusion that caused, and of course, I offer my sincere condolences to Donald X. Vaccarino. So we're going to talk about the games we played this week, and then we're going to talk about some news and why it doesn't matter, and then to our feature game, which is Nucleum. It's like a superhero, I think, right? Uh, not quite. I hope so. No, so, no. All right. That might have made the theming better. Might change my notes. <laughs> so, Walker, what'd you play last week? We went back to Kingdom Rush. We've been streaming on Wednesdays, and we played Scenario 3 from Kingdom Rush, or It Played Us, I guess you could say. <laughs> Kingdom Rush is designed by Alara Cameron, Helena Hope, and Sen Fu Lim, uh, published by Lucky Duck Games, and it's a sort of, it's uh, based off of a computer game, which is a tower defense where you also control a hero. And I think they've done a very great job of implementing that into a board game fashion. Now these cards of hordes are moving towards the exit like they do in the video game, except, uh, and they're in little groups on the card and you have to use polyomino shapes to cover them up and all your different abilities and spells and tower effects all generate different sort of shapes of polyominoes. It's not like this huge variety. It's like one space or two space. You know, it's not a huge different things, but it's still very interesting to sort of puzzle out how exactly you're going to, you know, uh, control. Give, uh, it gives your at attacks, in my experience, a little bit of texture past just this mob has five hit points and I'm doing a couple points of damage to it. There's a little bit more to it and it encourages a kind of pseudo combined arms effect to be able to cover the different shapes that you need to cover. Yep, very nice and puzzly. Uh, if you have soldiers or your heroes on cards, they don't get to move, so it's figuring out which cards you're going to hold in place, how you're going to make enough room for the cards that are going to spawn next turn, trying to eliminate as many cards as you can, which generate you income, which let you buy more towers. You have this interesting pass towers to other players and don't use them this turn, but they get free upgrades. 
this new uh, the new Kingdom Rush also now lets you modify towers, which give them like little perks that you can buy with the new currency, which is coins. Like a little throw rug to pull everything together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, little pictures, right? Little photographs on the wall. Sure. Making making it making it personal. Some credence tapes. Just so. Yeah. So that is Kingdom Rush. Having more fun with it. I'm sure we're going to return this coming Wednesday. Whether we're going to try scenario three or push on again is yet to be determined. Because it's been uh, beating you up rather badly, hasn't it? Oh no, we got through the first two. Oh okay. Okay. But this third one we lost almost immediately. Oh wow. And we reset and 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 lost a second time. <laughs> the scaling is is quite extensive. The scaling is real. Yes. On the topic of getting your behind handed to you, I return to Assault on Doomrock Ultimate Edition, which, full disclosure, one has to remove the banner of Kekistan because otherwise your copy has crypto-fascism in it, and we do not support the including, inclusion of crypto-fascist imagery in Assault on Doomrock, but this has been covered by an errata. It was a sincere error on the part of the designer and publisher, Tom Stasiak. And yes, we're going to mention it every time. Yeah, each and every time. I've been exploring some of the additional modules. One of the great virtues of the Ultimate Edition of Assault on Doomrock is there's a whole bunch of optional modules that you can graft on, custom dice, special versions for the solo game. You can have a goon instead of playing simultaneously playing two heroes, which is what I did with the, the prior version. There's also terrain as the optional module. And this time I experimented with the goons because I was playing solo. And I'm not 100% sure whether a goon is better or worse than another character in terms of overall effectiveness. And one of the reasons why I'm not sure is because Assault on Doomrock's base difficulty level is absurdly difficult in a very pleasing way. And so, of course, I'm going to be losing terribly. So I'm not in a position to parse why I'm losing terribly by virtue of what module what I'm losing terribly because I'm playing Assault on Doomrock. That is the way of things. Nonetheless, the sheer amount of variety, even setting aside the different modules in Assault on Doomrock, really leaves the base edition in the dust, but it maintains that one element that really made the game sing and why I first got uh, drawn to Assault on Doomrock, the abstracted terrain system where you get this notion of adjacency and distance, and that's it. That's all you're working on. You're either next to something or you're not. You just have these relationships with different tokens on the map, and so you don't have to count squares for movement. I'm a, I'm a little past counting squares for movement, and so if you can find a clever way to get rid of that, I'm all in favor. Uh, I'm still willing to do it for Space Hulk, but that's about it. Space Hulk got legacyed in. Moving forward, I want to I minimize the counting of squares and hexes as, as much as possible. And Assault on Nubrak, therefore, manages to leverage a whole bunch of things, like being overwhelmed, like having uh, uh, moving enemies around in interesting and new and novel ways. I, I love playing Assault on Doomrock, even as it's completely thrashing me. That's one of the ways that it appeals, to be frank. Uh, shame about the misprint in the current edition, but I am still going to be going back to it on the regular. And that is Assault on Doomrock Ultimate Edition, designed by Tom Stasiak at Beautiful Disaster Games. I've been playing a couple games on Board Game Arena, which I feel shine on Board Game Arena. Lots of games I don't enjoy playing because I sort of lose my place or get uninterested, but uh, I've been playing Caverna because it's easy to parse, you know, what your board game state is and the actions that are left and what you need to do to make sure you have some points at the end, what buildings are available and what conversions you need to make and you can sit and puzzle everything out. And so you're not rushed when it's your turn. So I enjoy that. Caverna's done by Uwe Rosenberg, put out by Lookout Games. This implementation on Board Game Arena is done by Tissac and Vincent and continue to love Caverna. 
Also, Hidden Leaders is the same sort of thing. Hidden Leaders is this very interesting game where you are supporting a particular leader, but no one knows which leader you're supporting. You're allowed to have some cards face up in front of you and some face down. And then there's these meeples moving up and down this track. Some people want the green one for their head. Someone want the red one. Someone want them close together. So you're not sure, sure who's supporting who. You can sort of maybe guess from the cards they have out. And then all of a sudden, someone has too many cards in front of them and the game ends. And you sort of reveal all your cards. And whoever has the most support for the leader that's ahead is the winner. So that sort of leads well into BGA because you can sort of take your time and see what cards are in front of people, see which cards you have, which ones you need to discard, and which ones you should play. This implementation is done by Shun91 on Board Game Arena. Hidden Leaders is designed by Andreas Muller, Marcus Muller, and Raphael Stalker, and it's put out by BFF Games. And the art is amazing. So much personality it, in those cards. I really like it. It's Sayochi Matsurura. I returned to Aqua Biodiversity in the Oceans. I cannot quit this game, Walker. One of the reasons why I returned to Aqua Biodiversity in the Oceans this time, and this is a review copy sent to us by the publisher, was because it was revealed to me I'm living up to the Silver Robot Games brand, to the titling, to the masthead. I got a very significant rule wrong. I had been under the misapprehension that when you cover up a bunch of small animals with a large animal, that you do not score the small animals. No, 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 you score all of them. This is a good news, bad news situation. I'm not going to be that guy, you know, that guy who plays a game wrong and says, I think I prefer my way better. That's not what I'm going to say. What I am going to say is that this does flatten the decision base a little bit in terms of the basic scoring conditions. With the base scoring conditions, scoring conditions one through six, there's a whole bunch available in the box, 18 total and you pick six for a given game. With the base scoring conditions, there was a trade-off about whether or not you wanted to cover very things up. And so you had to you had to make some large animals to trigger scoring conditions, but then you had to build other small animals uncovered to actually satisfy them. Now it's a little bit more simple, streamlined, a little bit more vertical integration. You know, you b use the small animals that will then score by virtue of the large animal that they then make. So it's a little bit of latticing as opposed to a trade-off. So that that's not necessarily to my taste necessarily. But if you play the way the game is quote-unquote supposed to be played, according yeah, quote, to Condescenti... Quote-unquote. No, no, quote. Well, no, no, no. I don't mean by the actual <laughs> rules, but the sort of scenario. The game the, 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 the game in the box, Aqua recommends you start with run through six, then you play seven through 12, and then when you're a full grown-up, uh, there are some scenarios available, but you also just play a random victory conditions. And apparently random victory conditions are the, uh, are the way to go. I played a game with random victory conditions. It's fine. I mean, look, I played I played Aqua now about half a dozen times. And every time I'm like, this is very uh, colorful. I love the art by Vincent Dutre. That's great. Uh, and it, it equals up to very much of the, all, the, all the others of their like. Yeah. Right? It's just as good as Cascadia, just as good as Calico. Yeah, and, but if you already have but very, those, I would say it's very different from from uh, Calico. Again, there's this axis that I, I keep identifying. On the one end, you have Cascadia, and on the other hand, you have Calico. They're all nature nature slash animal themed, cute slash bright and visually appealing, simple tile layers, but they all feel very different because Calico feels like it's trying to murder you from the inside out by virtue of how agonizing the scoring conditions are, whereas Cascadia is far more friendly. And look, I do prefer Aqua to things like Cascadia, but the problem is, here's one of the reasons why I, I can't really enthusiastically recommend something like Aqua. And the reason is, when it comes to light tiling games, there's this guy named Reiner Knizia who designed half a dozen brilliant tiling games of a similar or lighter rules grit than Aqua Biodiversity in the Oceans and designed about 12 more that are at least as good or better. 
than Aqua Biodiversity of the Oceans. And so I'm when I'm playing Aqua, I'm like, oh, could have been playing Gnar, could have been playing any number of these other tile layers. Blue uh, Lagoon. Blue, yeah, exactly. And okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. It's fine. It's a nice little bagatelle. Uh, and honestly, if you want to be driven by the visual appeal, by all means, go forth and take whichever one tickles your fancy the most. But in a market that is currently dominated by the trend of nature-themed ones. You know, Aqua may or may not be your preference by virtue of the of, of how the scoring conditions shake out. It's a whole bunch of different ways to enforce these these weird pattern-insistent scoring conditions, and that's kind of the trend. It's like the tiling equivalent of the roll-and-write. Roll-and-writes are filling out spreadsheets. All these tilings are, are setting out these, these, these patterns. I would much rather, personally play a tiling game where, with more direct player interaction because we're all playing on the same board. Whether it's the more recent stuff like Blue Lagoon, whether it's the perennial classics like Through the Desert, whether it's some of the the, the slightly more thinky stuff like Samurai, or whether it's the full-blown complexity of uh, Tigers and Euphrates, that's of course a different category. I wouldn't put them in the same bucket at all because Tigers and Euphrates is considerably more complicated. Anyway, Aqua is fine. Aqua Biodiversity of the Oceans is fine. I think I'm done with it. I felt I was done with it after the first couple plays, but I kept going back for a variety of reasons past my control. I think this is like the the, the, the Trials of Hercules, not that I'm Hercules, or the the, the, the Curse of Ixion, not that I'm as bad as Ixion. I, I think I can be done with it now. I think now I can I can walk away from Aqua and now die. It's, it's, it's okay, Mark. It's, it's all over now. Aqua Biodiversity of the Oceans by Dan Halstead and Tristan Halstead. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We got to play Project Elite today because we got some nice 3D printed terrain to go with it. Some and, nice pr- and, 3D and, printed terrain. And it was Rather nice, a lot. And it was nicely painted for us as well by, by Louis. He uh, enjoys that type of thing. And it makes such a difference to the board. It does give a little bit of uh, play problems. You know, if you're lo- if you're a little too low on the board, you might not be able to see how the arrows go. And line of sight might. But I think the, the trade-offs are worth it. It looks fantastic. Uh, Project Elite is a real-time dice-rolling type game where these aliens are streaming in towards your base and you have all sorts of different objectives that you have to fight your way through while you're furiously rolling dice and trying not to get eaten by aliens. All sorts of different bosses and weapons and tons of different... There's like two full uh, expansions I think we have never touched. I uh, know. We, we've... we've... We've dipped our toe into a couple, like the giant segmented worm, uh, the modular map I've never played. I don't know if you've ever played no. the modular map. We've only played the, the fixed maps, but we've we've experimented with some of those. And I agree that there's a tremendous amount of variety. I'd just like to double down on things we've been talking about lately. Uh, Culminy or Not doesn't always put all of their stretch goals through the paces very well. I have a little bit more faith in things done by Eric Lang. Even then, there's some dodgy stuff, uh, but... I feel like in Project Elite was one of the first signs where even as a fan of Coleman or not at the time, I would look at some of the characters and say, this wasn't playtested. You know, some of them with the rules as written just flatly don't work. And some of them are just all over the map. And I don't think that all of them are necessarily going to lead to quality experiences. So I do think a certain stronger editorial hand would have been useful for the asymmetric characters for the one case. And that's pretty easy. Just try to try to be a little skeptical about some of the more outre effects. And the other factor with Project Elite, and this is not a ding on Coleman Yonat's version. This has always been a feature of the game. If the draws, if the card draws clump up in a certain way, you're going to have a rough go of it. And that is exactly what happened to us this time. There are three different spawn points. 
And if one spawn point keeps getting hit repeatedly, what that means is necessarily the line is going to be pushed because there's no room for the new monsters. And so the existing ones just get pushed closer and closer and closer, giving you less room to maneuver, less of a margin for error. And it was wild. Round one, spawn point two kept getting pushed. Round two, spawn point three kept getting pushed. It was just, they all clumped in a terrible, terrible way. It's all right. I didn't mind that experience, but it was, it was very strange. Yep. I played a terrible character, which will never get played again. But uh, it was bad. <laughs> there you go. It's it was you roll four dice all the time, and when alien results come up, you have to deal with those immediately, and you that's what moves the aliens down towards your base. And my ability was every time you rolled two uh, alien icons, you had to take a wound. There was another two icons that healed you, but of course they didn't come up as much, nope. and and I died, and that ends the game. Self inflicted wound. Yes, out he goes. Force majeure. The other, the other thing I'd like to stress is that I was reminded that I think Project Elite is best with a smaller player count because the ratio of gameplay to fiddling around where aliens are moving on a two-player game is very good because you hardly spend any time fiddling with alien maneuvering. When things get more bunched up, and again, this was particularly bad because they kept clumping up on the same spawn points. There's no room for everybody. There's conga lines. There's 20 figures on the board, and they all need to be moved one space, and it starts getting a little obnoxious. I'm perfectly willing to play with four, but I don't think that's where Project Elite is at its best. I think it is much better with two or three, and also much better if the cards don't decide that you're going to lose. Such is the way of things. Project Elite. We played another game of Lacuna. This is a review copy we got from the publisher, designed by Mark Garrett and published by CMYK. Lacuna is the absolutely gorgeous, incredibly simple, abstract two-player game where you're playing with these lovely chunky metal pieces and you're drawing lines and collecting it's about collecting flowers how much you shake it's just you like, shake you out put the put flowers. this nice cloth map and you shake 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 you, you shake out these, the flowers shake the flowers out so... and, they, and they bounce around the board and they create this nice little pattern it's delightful and then the head-to-head backstabbing starts well it's not even backstabbing <laughs> it's not it's not like brain burnery uh, but nonetheless, it's the case that you're... I, I was thinking about this, honestly, in the context of my discussion of how some dexterity games end up feeling a little bit like tabletop miniatures games. I get that sense as well from Lacuna. There are no fixed spaces, and so it has the same sort of abstracted uh, positioning element of games like Doom Rock. Uh, but here it's more about distances rather than just an abstract representation of, of adjacent or non-adjacent. Because after you're done placing all your pieces, you claim pieces by putting uh, one of your tokens in between two flowers of the same color. But at the end of the game, all the flowers get awarded to whoever has the closest token to it. So you, you start thinking about blocking off areas of the board. And you start thinking, well, if I put it here, I can basically claim this entire segment unless my opponent places suboptimally just to deny me a couple of pieces. And maybe that'll be a priority. Maybe it won't. And you start placing your pieces in that way, and then there are more horizons that open up. I think, well, if I place over here, that actually prevents my opponent from placing in this entire sector of the board as well. So that'll get it to me by default. Unless, of course, they open up that area of the board through two other placements. Anyway, Lacuna is an absolute hit, and I think that it's been correctly observed that in terms of rules difficulty to quality of gameplay, it is probably better than, I think, any other design of the past year. And I think also in terms of just tactile delight, it gets a lot done well. CMYK really has a good sense of, of matching components to design. I enjoyed Fuzzies as well. Fuzzies was a very cute dexterity game. And CMYK, I, I think, is really from going to strength to strength. I'm a huge fan of Lacuna, even though, again, it is a style of game, namely a positional abstract, that is typically not my bag. But it's so brief 
breezy and approachable and tactile that I find it very difficult to say anything bad about Lacuna. I wish it played multiplayer. <laughs> there you go. That is my criticism of Lacuna. How dare you just be a brilliant two-player game, That's Lacuna? True. Why couldn't you also Julian Fries? So that is Lacuna by Mark Garretts, published by CMYK. We also played a new game by Casper Lapp. This is called Five Towers. It's published by Deep Print Games. And I wish I could say it was a quick, because I think it would it would it would shine a lot more if it was quicker. It is a card game. It's pretty quick. It is pretty it's quick. not as quick as it wants to be. It yeah. was like around 30 minutes rather than 20, which sounds like a small difference, but it actually feels like it could. I didn't I don't think it dragged, but I agree with you. It wasn't quite as punchy as one would want it to be. Yeah, so you're building these five different colored towers and you're building them from uh bidding on a display of five cards every round. And that's the key part of the game is knowing what the initial bid is going to be because you have to use say you can bid five is maximum because there's five cards. If you bid five you win all the cards, but you have to use all of the cards if you bid three and you win the bid at three then you have to take three of the five cards and they must fit into your tower display because you have to start high numbers and then they must go lower as you go it reminds me an awful lot of lost cities rivals which was reiner knizia's multiplayer auction based version of lost cities because like in lost cities in five towers you have to build these ascending sets and if you've already played the 10 that means you can't play the 11 because that's too low i mean there are some exceptions in both games and obviously the numbers change for i know there's no 11 in lost cities yes thank you very much but you take my point uh the difference is that the bidding system in lost cities is a closed economy money system where you pay the losers and and you you, you take the necessary cards but they both share the element that taking cards is dangerous both because it forecloses future placements and because if you cannot use the cards that are available, that sets things up for your opponent. So, for example, in Five Towers, when there's a flop of five cards, and again, your bid is the number of cards you're willing to take, I might really want two of those cards. But I can't make a strong bid unless I can place the other cards. If I can bid five, place those other three cards, or do something with them, that's no thing, and I get the two that I really want. But if the two that I really want come up with cards I can't play, because I've overcommitted elsewhere, I'm really in trouble, and I probably won't get the cards that I want. Maintaining that flexibility is the name of the game. I thought it was interesting, but I thought it suffered in comparison to Lost City's Rivals. And again, I thought that the those crucial timing elements sometimes were you were more at the victim of the flop than the other way around. And again, the shaving 10 minutes off would be great. Now, this is in the context also of Casper Lapp's other designs. Casper Lapp uh, main, remains one of the designers we're very much looking at. He of That's Not a Hat and Gods of Dinosaurs, just two designs off the top of my head. I enjoyed Magic Maze. Walker has a very strong detestation of Magic Maze. Hashtag moving left is not a game. But Casper Lapp is very, very interesting. And I, I really like the central auction mechanism. It's, it's kind of cute. I just... The way that it's implemented, it seems like it's, it, at the moment, it seems more like half a game rather than a full, really good filler, I think. Agreed. Another note about Five Towers is the art is charming and borderline actionable. So let's start with the charming. It's called Five Towers, but not all of them are actual towers. One of them is cake, and another one is a tree. You know, I would say only two of the five are like legit, straightforward towers. And they're populated with a whole bunch of cartoon denizens. I realized this about halfway through round three or four, and I looked down and I'm like, this is not a legally distinct, diminutive, arboreal humanoid alien. This is an Ewok. There is no confusing this with anything other than an Ewok. 
And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got two Pokemon in mine. And that, uh, that's definitely Kirby. That's Kirby. And uh, yeah, so look, I have to admire the art, uh, the art team behind Deep Print Games and Pegasus Spiel for publishing this. Because you do not typically want to mess with Nintendo and Disney in terms of, like, I'm not joking when I call it borderline actionable. These are very obviously drawings of things. Not inspired by, this is not Pal World to Pokemon. This is not some sort of, this is not like, oh, this is a different kind of Space Marine, so get off my back games workshop. No, no, no. Am I wrong? Not wrong at all. It's it's an interesting move. I can't say that I've ever seen its like in the context of, of board game design. It's wild. That's Five Towers by Casper Lap, Deep Print Games, and Pegasus Spiel. Those are the games we played this week. And now on to the news and why it doesn't matter. So, Mark, we like Kemet. We do. And Madagot has a, a great history of fantastic games. Uh, well, they've done a number of very good games. They've also published Yucatan. <laughs> they did. Anyway, maybe to survive or, or, or bounce back from uh, Yucatan, they've, they're going to have a new crowned, crowdfunding campaign for Comet. Uh, it's going to be called Rise of the Gods. It's going to include a solo mode and a sixth god for a sixth player. And, sixth player Comet. And oh, I know oh, that sounds Doesn't painful. Doesn't sound just, great. Just, the same. I mean, we, we, we tried it once when we played with the set module in the first edition of Kemet. Didn't shake out very well. And there'll be other modules as well. So new crowdfunding campaign to survive Yucatan disaster. <laughs> well, I don't know. No, I know. I'm just, we don't actually know the no. bottom line. It's just even people who liked Yucatan or people who didn't hate it as much as we did. Uh, the rulebook wasn't great. <laughs> there were a number of issues with its fulfillment. We're probably giving them too hard a time. Matago has done some good designs. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, once again, this is a repeat from last week, but uh, I just I just want more people to know about it. Burned from Stone Circle Games is on Kickstarter now. It's a great hidden movement two-player card game. It is cheap. It's cheerful. It's visually delightful. It has a lot of options in it, and I thoroughly enjoy the gameplay. And so I think that more people need to check it out. This is Burned on Kickstarter right now from Stone Circle Games, designed by John Moffat. Unfortunately, they've they plastered a whole bunch of quotes from some maroon up on the Kickstarter page. So yeah. that's probably what's driving people away. It's true. Ignore those. Content creators don't always know what they're talking about. <laughs> that's an understatement of the year. So the one part of Dead of Winter I did like was the Crossroads system. And there's yep. going to be a new Crossroads game coming out. This is called Wandering Galaxy, a Crossroads game from Plat Hat Games. So I'm very much interested in looking more into this. And if you enjoyed the Crossroads system, it was mostly everyone was drawing these event cards from from a main deck. And they always pertain to either a certain situation or a certain character. And so you would be interrupting turns. And it wasn't all, always to like mess them up completely. But it gave you all these like, you know, side storylines and interesting interaction between players. Wandering Galaxy. Yeah, there have been a couple of Crossroads games since Dead of Winter. None of them have really caught on. I've always been vaguely curious about the system, but they keep changing it up. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely curious about this upcoming one as well. That's the news and why it doesn't matter. And now a quick break to pay some bills. It's great that ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, but you can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. It's so simple, even a gibbon could do it. ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. 
You can choose from over 100 different countries. I've been using ExpressVPN to check out Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance on South Korean Netflix, Friends and the American version of The Office on UK Netflix, Back to Canada for Sound of Metal, and luxuriating in the one and only Tim Riggins with US Netflix and Friday Night Lights. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I love ExpressVPN is because it is so fast and unobtrusive. It also works on all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash games, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash games. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And now we're back with our feature game, Nucleum. Nucleum was designed by Simone Luciani and David Cherze, two very... Wonderful? Cheery? (laughs) Those things they may be. Prolific board game designers was the word I was looking for. Uh, Simone Luciani is one of the Italian masters. He has designed, I'm just going to pick one in particular to emphasize at this moment, Barrage. Both one of our favorite Euro games of the past few years, and also uh, very relevant to a discussion of Nucleum. And David Cherze, he of every solo mode ever, with its own separate 20-page rulebook and new deck of cards in order to play the darn thing, as well as a, a bunch of designs that we are very fond of, such as uh, co-designing Imperium and Voidfall, as well as designing Anachrony. Uh, this is their first major collaboration, published by Borden Dice last year. Walker, why don't you give us an unhelpful summary about what one does in Nucleum? So it was Midsummer's Night Day, and Bras and Brass met on the pagoda, (laughs) drinks in hand. Oh, maybe I I should sum this up. I got a 15-page fan fiction of 
of, of, of this love affair. Between okay, should we save this Pratt for our Barrage. OnlyFans or should we do it right now? No, all right, all right, we'll do it. We'll do it later. Okay. All right. Long story short, uh, Barrage and Brass had this mutant nuclear baby, <laughs> and it is called <laughs> Nucleum, and it's very much. Uh, you're lining up multiple actions because the board state is going to change, but it's not that hard. You have this long list of different actions you can take and there's tons of things that you want to do. And it's very much, I know they say interaction. It's like, oh, someone just took something that you wanted, but this is every turn in multiple ways. There's contracts that you want. There's action tiles that you want. There's uh, map placements that you want. There's uh, end of sort of end of phase things that when someone passes, you wanted to be the one to do that. So there's all these things happening and you need to figure out, you know, what is the most important thing to you and how to get there faster. Nucleum. Huh. I don't know if I'd describe it that way. Okay. So let, 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 let's start where starting is good. Uh, very much like a lot of Euro games, the player interaction, as Walker alluded to, primarily comes from getting the stuff before other people do. So we'll, we'll talk about the map later because the map's a, a, an entire kettle of fish. I, I typically didn't feel that pressure all the time. Now, I, I felt it perhaps slightly more than the purest of multiplayer solitaire Euro games. But in terms of, for example, purchasing new action tiles, because the last game we played, I very, very much misplayed the last third of the game. And I left myself with no action tiles of a certain action type. There are five action types in Nucleum, and you have the ability to lose some of them. Again, more on the map later. You lose them by putting them on the map. Now, there's a safety valve. You have a wild tile that you cannot get rid of, and so you're never completely put yourself in a hole. But you are able to take a variety of risks that may or may not pay off and or a bunch of boneheaded decisions that are going to put you in a corner. This much I appreciate, to be clear. But... In terms of the player interaction itself, there's just, you know, a display of action tiles. And if an action tile comes up that you really want, you should probably just go take it. Eh, I mean, it's, I don't really. But there's contract, there's contracts as well. There's How con- often is it the case that you're going to need all of those things at once such that you're not able to just go the, get the oh, thing you want? In the, in the last play, it was almost every turn. Really? Yeah. Wild. Because I, I, over all the plays of Nucleum, I can think of maybe two or three times total across all the kinds of things where someone snaked something and I felt I really wanted that. And most of the time, it's because that thing just came up in the flop. You know, I'm player one, player two refreshes the market somehow, and then either player three or four takes the thing that came up that was really nice. So, I mean, honestly, uh, whatever I have to say about Nucleum, heavily player interactive is not one of the ways that I would characterize it. No. But I mean, in, in the genre of I took this before someone else did, I think it does a great job of of making it much more important than other games. Huh. Because not only are the play act, some of the player tokens uh, better than others, mm-hmm. but there's the color combinations that you need as well. Like you want to, you have, there's a certain joint that you need. You need the orange white. Yeah, like a spiky there's that, joint. There's yeah. that certain orange white one there that has not only the colors that you need but also the actions that you want Hmm. and then someone just takes it for the sake of taking it or whatever same sort of thing with the contracts there's these purple contracts and there's two of them line up like say have the most houses or have x number of houses out and so there's a a lower one that says three and the higher one that needs six so you really want because you're already sort of heading towards that six one right so having that three one would be great because you're already on your way there but then someone takes that just because Hmm. they wanted to take something and and another reason why, because it's very important to sort of cycle your contracts too. So 
getting them to chain properly is great because every time you place a contract, you get bennies, right? So being able to satisfy them quickly and get new ones in is pretty important. Uh, this has not been my experience playing Nukeman. Again, it, it feels reasonably head down. Yeah, someone takes the building spot you wanted, but that means you have to pay two extra bucks to build in the worst building spot. If you compare it to slightly more interactive Euros, like, for example, Barrage, uh, <laughs> where the building spots really matter and you can really snake something out from, uh, from somebody. And on top of that, you also have the competitive element of there are these advanced technologies available that I'm going to take that you can't. I definitely feel that Bar- uh, that that Nucleum is much more head down than something like Barrage. For sure. But then again, Barrage, uh, maybe that's an unfair comparison. It's the obvious one, but I don't I I feel I feel that that Nucleum is if anything just to keep within the oeuvre of the existing designers that we're talking about. I would I I feel that Nucleum is about as player interactive as Anachrony, which is to say not very. All right, let's talk about the map. Let's talk about the map. Because this is one area where I think that Nucleum is is quite clever in a number of ways, and where I think the brass comparison has some teeth. Why don't you set the stage? Oh, first of all, this is, I hate the painful part as well. They, they've snaked the continents in a certain way where <laughs> where you where you think some should be adjacent, but they're not. In yep. order to get the track so that these two <laughs> connect, you need to like oh wait, you thought it'd be like two, and you could just cut across there. No, you need like a fifteen track combination to work your way around because yes. they've just tucked that in a corner and made it look like it's adjacent. It's true. and it's not anyway. That's being silly and and way over the top. But well, no, I, I think it's relevant. I think we should touch back on this on this idea later but go on so what what you actually do on the map is very much like brass you uh, are putting out these buildings that you need to power much like you do in brass except it's a little bit more forgiving because uh when you actually go to power them you can use anyone's tracks and you get and you bring in the power Not it has only, that relationship that brass and, and age of industry have whereby sometimes it matters a lot who owns a given railway and sometimes it doesn't matter at all who owns a given railway and I like that dynamic, but at the same time, it does lead to a fair bit of confusion. It's true. But how this differs is that the the important energy, the nucleum, the nuclear, the, the, the uranium, the uranium, the, the uranium that gets processed at a nucleum plant is is yours and it cannot be taken. Unlike brass, where correct the timing of that particular situation is crucial. There's the, a little bit of a rush for cheap coal, but past that, yeah, it, it, it's not, and it's not an interesting fluctuating market like you're going to find in brass where the, the price of iron and coal is going to go up or down and you really want to be able to maintain the supply. It's just as the game goes on, coal gets more expensive. Flat. But at least for me, it's a little more enjoyable. You're not so much fighting the game constantly. Keeping things in network is a constant problem in brass. Not so much here in Nucleum, because all you need to do is take one of your action tiles that you might not, you think you don't want to use anymore, and you place it on the map into a new area, and now that is in your network. Now you can build buildings there, and uh, multiple people can have tracks on the same single line, and that counts for everyone that has a track there. So it's a lot more forgiving, a little bit more open, so you can concentrate on the plethora of other things that are going on in Nucleum. Yeah, you're going to find that if you desperately need to get a certain thing done, there's a way to do it. You're not, again, you're not going to build yourself into a corner. I, I think that's kind of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you feel a sense of flexibility so that you can focus on the action chain that you want to do for maximum efficiency. 
But by the same token, I never feel like I'm forced to pivot. And by virtue of the fact that I'm never really forced to pivot, I, I might be forced to do an action slightly out of sequence. I might be forced to do half of an action that I wouldn't have otherwise done just as a prerequisite for something else. But unlike games, like even like Barrage or like Age of Industry or Brass, sometimes I look at the map and say, it's like, well, that thing that I wanted to do, I just can't do anymore. And yeah, that may be bad for, for certain people with a certain frustration threshold, but I do appreciate it at times like this, where a game can force me to have strategic horizons, but adapt when it is the case that that plan is no longer feasible. Nucleum, I agree with you, is slightly more permissive, but again, this is a preference thing. I would prefer if it had been perhaps slightly less permissive in the sense of forcing me to have to shoehorn my way into an area, rather than just, eh, Prague's where it's at. I'll have plenty of time to go to Prague. Oh, look at that. I Now my horizon is not within the next six turns. It has to be in the next five. Okay. I never really felt rushed like I had to do anything. Again, I think this, this goes back to our differing experiences with respect to the player interaction. When it came down to play Nucleum, I felt like more, more or less I had the horizons that I needed to do what I needed to do at all times, which in turn leads to my biggest complaint, I think, all told about Nucleum, which is uh, every play has felt more or less the same. There's not really a tremendous dynamic range of actions available, like this specialized action tile that you build at a $1 discount. Now, that's really powerful. Like it, It's a good tile to have, but it's not going to blow your socks off. It's not like one of, it's, it's not like even some of the cool techs that you're going to find in Barrage. It's not like really being able to get out those high-value buildings even in, in, in Brass. And so it's, uh, you know, the, 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 all the mechanisms come together in a neat way. Uh, but, you know, the combination of the head down and just being able to do whatever it is that I need to do, I, I felt like I was on autopilot. Well, I feel as maybe that's just a sort of style of play. I just think it feels, not, not as in your style of play, I mean, it's style of play of what this particular game is trying to accomplish. Sure. I think there's just a lot of game for the time it takes to play and for for people to have to pivot or to have all sorts of different things you can do, I think that would bog the game down That's fair. sufficiently, right? This game has tons going on and can be played. This is with Teach and Teardown was two hours yeah. multiple times. And that is a lot of game for that short time span. I guess, but you can... I feel like you can do, you, you can do the, the, the rules explanation, play and tear down with uh, Barrage and Age of Industry as well. And again, these are the natural comparison sets. They feel an awful lot like like the love child of, of these two games. And with respect to Nucleum, if we're going to talk about the setup, the setup is such a pain. This is what I had at the very beginning. Yeah. Let me just cover the one point sure. before we go too By far. And that's the the difference in, in from game to game. Okay. And the fact that there are uh, uh, four different sort of player sets, A, B, and C, and they'll give you completely different... Not completely I shouldn't different. Say, sorry, There's overlap. I was about to come back. Yeah. Not completely different, but slightly different action tiles. This one gives you a money after you power. Okay. This one gives you a worker after you power. No, no, no. They're cool. It's nice to be able to unlock these various toys. But if you, again, if you compare it to the kind of way that yes. you get toys in almost any other Euro, you get a fixed set, and they're important... But And some of them are, are kind of cool, but none of them spark the same kind of joy. And the, then there's a list of technologies, which fall into the, exactly the same boat. A lot of them are the same as everyone else. Yeah. And the ones that are different are just slightly different in a different way. But they are different. And there are different, definitely different strategies to each sort of technology set. Yes. The, the thing that I most liked 
about the new action tiles that come up is not even necessarily their effects, but just the ability to tune my economy the way that it wanted. It's like, I, I'm at the stage now in my gameplay. Again, I, I always felt like I ended up at roughly the same place in Nucleum. Like, a successful strategy looks more or less the same. Unlock a couple things in whatever order you please. Uh, make a push to Prague. Uh, build a couple high-value buildings in Prague and power them. And again, you can do them in almost any order. And ultimately, the thing that was uh, more satisfying than the, the, ne- the necessary end state or the specific powers on the specific tiles was what kind of economy of actions was I able to build on the way there. Now, do, is it the case that I find building really easy because I've got these three building tiles and I can build three times as fast as anybody else? That part I found more satisfying rather than the specifics of the action tiles themselves. For what it's worth. All right, so the setup. Oh, boy. Let's talk about the action tiles first. They want a nice, even mix. So they have two different sets of action tiles. They sort of like the generic ones that you're going to use every time. And then they want you to mix in a certain number of of specialty ones. And so you have to count those out. And then you have to mix them all together and then create your stacks. And then you have all your text that you have to set up. You have a different piles of contracts. You have gold, silver, and purple ones that they all have to be sorted out. And they have their player count specific milestone tokens that need to be put out. Then you have to populate the board. There's all of the coal import wagon tiles you have to put out. Uh, you have to Then you have to start flipping these, you know, setup cards. It's going to tell you which uh, city is going to have a nucleum site, where all the neutral urban buildings are going to go because you have to have, there's a bunch of neutral buildings that you're allowed to power. Uh, if it's less than four players, oh, well, help you if you're well then, with, yeah. yeah, then buckle up. There's uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, all of these other things that need to be covered in a four player game. And then you get to populate your player board. And I'm not even going to go into things yeah. like that. There are it's... 32 things that you need to place. That is the number. In, in, professional, kitchen, in professional kitchens, it'll be called touches. It's gotcha. the number of touches. Yeah. And if you're playing Nucleum back to back to back, you might remember some of these things and you can divvy up the tasks and it'll make things relatively quick. But all of these details are exactly the kind of detail you forget if you haven't played Nucleum for like 10 days. It's like, oh, wait, how do the action tiles work again? Oh, geez. Okay. And this leads to teardown as well because everything needs to be sorted in its specific tile, a specific pile. There are effectively six different piles of action tiles. All of them are going to be scattered across the map because that's how train links get made. You put your action tiles there. Clever and cool and a fun and an interesting and novel mechanism, but also makes tearing everything down a bit of a bear. It's a whole thing. Yeah, so let's talk more about these action tiles because there's a lot of interesting things that are going on. We've already talked about the sort of decisions you have to make on on using them for actions or putting them out on the board and putting it on the board. If you match, cause all the s- different cities are color coded and the multiple track segments are also color coded. So if you put them out on the board and they match colors, then you can still do the actions anyway. If they match both sides, then that's the two actions. The same as if you'd put it at the top of your board as, you know, playing an action, you still get to do both of those actions and why you'd want to put it at the top of your board is because there's this cool, Cool. Uh, <laughs> what do you say, in, Daddy? Inco- income method, because you have three tracks that are going to go up for certain reasons during the game. It's uh, coins, workers, and victory points. And as your action tokens line up at the top of the board, and whenever you do decide to pass, you're only going to get as much income as 
It's the lower yeah, of the... your track or the number of action tiles you've placed. So effectively, you can run up your income track of whatever type, but you can't keep pumping it ad infinitum by passing over and over because you only get to the highest level as indicated by the number of action tiles. I thought it was very interesting. And lots of lots of sort of trade-offs on, on when you want to pass because not yes. only is it you want to get more action tiles up there so you get more income, but there is this sort of uh, king's uh, king scoring thing and also getting to the certain milestones because as you power buildings through through the energize action, you're acquiring these stars. And whenever you do pass, you have to cash in all of these stars. And it's going to put you at a certain position on the milestone track. And in all of the positions, there is a new nuclear reactor. And the first one to get a marker in there gets to decide what city it's going to go into. And more often than not, it was a fairly important decision. Yeah, this is the the overall dynamic of this round structure or lack thereof is the key at virtue that I think Nucleum has over its clear competitors, uh, specifically in this case, Barrage. Because Barrage has a very rigid traditionalist turn structure, whereby at the end of the round, you compare how much power everyone's generated and there's a scoring. In the context of Nucleum, you do the scoring at regular intervals based on when people have passed. Somebody may be drowning in action tiles and have really, really good income tracks, and they're perfectly happy to spend to do six, seven consecutive actions without passing. Somebody else, on the other hand, might not have the action tiles or might have done something else. They might pass re- relatively quickly. And consequently, there's a a greater degree of flexibility with respect to things as compared to Barrage. And that I very much appreciated. And that part I thought was neat. Uh, Sometimes it can lead to situations where, you know, your most advantageous thing to do is just pump your income tracks. And that's okay. And it also dovetails with another aspect of the economy that I very much appreciated. uh, Namely that although the chief way to get these aforementioned stars, which are going to be competitive for a variety of reasons, is by powering buildings, it's not the only way. And sometimes those extra two or three notches on the track can make all the difference. And so if you found a way to do little exploits here and there, some tech sets are better at this than others. Some action tiles are better at this than others. But I did appreciate trying to find that extra little margin that might push me over through non-powering agencies. And I thought that was neat. Yeah, it's a little bit like Bloodstone, where once everyone has taken that pass action, then it invokes this king scoring. And whoever has the highest on that milestone is going to get more uh, uh, more victory points. And that could be the same threshold over and over again. Unlike Barrage, where it resets every round, in Nucleum, if you do a really, really solid power production round, your marker just stays there and it could win first place potentially three times consecutively. That would be very, very difficult because in the first round, you're not going to be doing much. But, you know, second second round and third round, it's conceivable. Or at the very least, it might stick around to score second place. That's more plausible. Can we talk about the theme a bit? Sure. I would classify it as aggressively stupid. <laughs> now, uh, to, I don't to, know. In, in the theming of board games, I don't think it's excessively stupid. I've seen much stupider things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, here's why. It's first of all, it's one of those euros where a rules explainer is apt to skip saying what the theme is entirely, and then the materials are going to kind of imply that it's a contemporary setting. They're like, oh no, 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 no. This is supposed to be like. A weird alternate history magic version of oldie times. Like, okay. It's like electricity's for chumps. We're going right to nuclear. <laughs> well, it's not. Well, nuclear is still electricity, yeah. but that's the point. On the one hand, uh, you know, personal biases straight on the table. 
it's kind of pro-nuclear, and I like that. But at the same time, it, it kind of runs away from... No, 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 this isn't nuclear power, this is nucleum. You process uranium at a nucleum reactor. What's nucleum? Oh, well, it's magic, old-timey, historical nuclear power. It's just really weird and silly. It's nuky punk. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like <laughs> TM. <laughs> it's just, it's, okay, maybe not aggressively stupid. It's aggressively silly. Yes. And not in a particularly funny way. No. Not, or interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's once again, uh, 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 Missed opportunity. You can make a Euro game about anything. It doesn't even really have a consistent visual style so that they can get away with it. I mean, again, Barrage and Brass, they're very much sort of... Uh, uh, Barrage kind of sort of plays with steampunk a little bit, uh, but not to the extent of ridiculousness that Nucleum does. And they at least have a sort of consistent visual to- style and tone uh, in a way that Nucleum doesn't. But, you know, again, at this point, I'm quibbling. I don't know. They have frogs and spaceships. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, not officially frogs. <laughs> we call them frogs and spaceships. <laughs> Similarly, Brass doesn't have, what is it, orphan stompers, but you call them that anyway. <laughs> it's, it's also true. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Endgame, because I think that is a, another nice hook, is that there's multiple Endgame conditions, but if only two of them trigger, then the end of the game is going to start. And there's like... Uh, emptying the contracts there's once everyone's passed three times there's everyone gets all the technologies there's the action tile things where there's multiple ways and not only that the first person to any of these uh end game goals will also get some victory points and i I found that semi-interesting yeah often you end with a couple of the other end game conditions circling around the same timing but there is actually a difference in terms of which ones tend to get exhausted first like sometimes someone's super aggressive at getting a whole bunch of action tiles that they probably don't need and so that might push that in in game condition someone might be really aggressive at scoring in game points as opposed to end game points and therefore push that in game condition and the the end can ap- actually happen pretty precipitously Somewhat disappointingly, it is often in your best interest once the endgame has been triggered just to pass, because by the end of the game, your income tracks are probably pretty high, and your victory point endgame track might be, you know, six, seven, eight, nine points just for passing. So it's a little bit of anticlimax, but all told, the endgame conditions are pretty solid. Yeah, because scores will end up being around in the 200 range, a little bit lower, maybe 150 to 200 range, which leads sort of back to... I just want to go back because I forgot to touch on the milestone track. When you when you cash in your sort of main milestone markers, you can just take you can allow it to put it anywhere lower than what you've generated. When you generate power and you cash in the, your power generating thing, you can say, "Oh, I only want to generate this for multiple reasons because you can only have one marker in each band, and there's some scoring conditions there that you want to double up on." But the other thing you can do is just take zero, and that gives you a bunch of resources. And I'm wondering. I think next time I play... A, bun- a bunch of strong... Well, yeah. or, but, okay, but early game. What I was about yes. to get to, early game, I think I want to try this almost right at the beginning, is pass, take the hit, because negative mm-hmm. three in, yeah. a, in, a, in just a 200-point game... You're right, the points point are not going to be considerable. Yeah. I think that jump to your income right at the beginning might be pretty big. Possibly. Resources are reasonably tight in Nucleum. Not super tight, but reasonably tight. And that additional influx might be helpful. It's just there are a lot of things you can do effectively for free, especially at the early game. 
you know, you can take a contract for free and then slot it in one of the, 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 the slots that give you resources, which is to say any of them. So, you know, if you pass, sure, you, you can pass, take the three victory point hit and get a worker in $2. But you also just take a contract and get $2. Now, granted, then you're stuck with that contract. But, you know, as I say, I, I generally feel like I end up in roughly the same place in every game of Nucleum that I've played. And so the prospect of taking a contract that I'm not in any position to satisfy now but shrug and expect that I'll probably be in a position to satisfy it later is usually not too much of a restriction. So I, you know, the rulebook emphasizes that this is a viable strategy, but people are are risk averse and look at the minus three points and get gun shy. It's true. But like I said, it's it's usually always new players and they don't realize that the, the score threshold is going to be in the you know one fifty range and three three <laughs> yeah. points is no big deal. It's true. It's true. I would be more worried about spending an entire action just to get one worker and two money. If that was the way you were going. Now, if your if your tracks are well situated, if there are other exogenous reasons to pass before you've generated power, absolutely. It's a nice little capper. It might make sense. And then there's putting the game away. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just like the setup. It's just, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some games are onerous to set up, but tearing them down is super simple. Eh, not so much with the <laughs> I mean, look, ultimately, I can respect what they're doing. I, I I do like how Nucleum mixes things up. You can clearly see the progenitors, but at the same time, the way the action tiles dovetail with the map, the way the round structure is more flexible, I very, very much appreciate those innovations, as it were, or those, those uh, mechanical variations. But ultimately, I'm left feeling like I would rather play its obvious inspirations, partially by virtue of the fact that I, I, I feel a certain sense of repetition set in. I feel there's a, a certain amount of heads down lack of player interaction. I very much appreciate Nucleum on a mechanical level. And I'm happy to play when it's in front of me. And I've enjoyed exploring it to the extent that we have over the course of our plays over the past few weeks. But ultimately, I think that it's, uh, although a, a very solid entry, it is overshadowed by its parents. I agree with that completely. In, in the particular style lifestyle that I'm living now, where we don't get to play b- Brass and Barrage multiple times, I feel a game like Nucleum, where you will not get like sort of like a food chain magnet, where you make one mistake and you're almost kind of out of the game, right? Is a little nice change, right? It's a little less stressful. You know, That's a good point. You can, you know, you're you're free to do your own thing. Even if someone, like I said, does take that contract or that action tile, you know, there's other ones that will come up that are just as good, if not better. So not as punishing, but like you said, I, I definitely, if it was those games were played more often, I would definitely gravitate towards those more. That's a fair point. It is more approachable. It's still a rules dense game. It's not, the, it, it's, it's definitely a medium heavy Euro, but it is not quite as punishing of early mistakes as, as its progenitors. I will give it that let them suffer. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you very, very much for joining us for So Very Wrong About Games. You can find all our contact information as well as a whole bunch of other useless and useful information at SoWrongGames.com. It should be your homepage. It should be. It should be the only page you visit. Why else would you need the internet? I don't... don't, It's why the internet was invented, Walker. I think so. Yeah. We read everything you send us. We'll get back to you if we can. Thanks again for having decided to spend slash waste some time with us. We hope to see you again soon. Peace! You've been listening to So Very Wrong About Games, produced by Michael Walker and edited by Mark Bicking. Special thanks goes to What Does It Eat for generously allowing us to use their most excellent song, FOS, as our theme. You can find them at whatdoesiteat.com. You can reach us by email at soverywrongaboutgames at gmail.com or on Twitter at sowronggames. 
Thanks very much. See you next time. And always, try to be right. But remember, you are so very wrong. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.